The following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, um, and I'll just give you a second to find that in your Bibles. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it's great to be with you. Um, I'm Philip Plimming. I'm a member of the congregation at St Nick's. I'm also uh, on the staff at St John's College in Cranmer Hall. I'm speaking to you from my home in Durham, and it's just a great joy to be with you. And uh, shall we just start with a word of prayer? Lord, we thank you for your word that continues to speak afresh to every generation. Lord, speak to us by your spirit tonight, we pray, that we may hear your voice speaking into our lives. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The reality of socially distanced living is something that hits home more day by day. Although lockdown rules in England have been relaxed slightly over the past week, we all know that social distancing is here to stay for some time. I don't know if you're like me, you find yourself watching a film at the moment and thinking, you couldn't do that today. Go into a crowded pub, hug a friend, crowd together in shops, careful. And then there are the special places that are not open to us at the moment. For regular members here at Nick's, that means the church in the marketplace where we gather together Sunday by Sunday to grab a cup of tea and a biscuit before the evening service, find a, a familiar or a friendly face and worship in a space where we've encountered God together in the past. It's good that service leaders can now use church buildings on their own to record and stream services as Aaron did last week. But perhaps seeing the building again just reinforces what we're missing. 
There are also theological questions raised by church buildings being closed to the public. How is God at work when his people are not coming together to do the very thing that they're called and made to do? What's it mean that we're worshipping in our homes as, as we are this evening? Does it mean, as one commentator suggested a few weeks ago, that the church has retreated into a purely domestic sphere, nervous about engaging in the public square? Has the church turned into a members club? Well, we're living with in unprecedented times, but we're not asking unprecedented questions. One of the things I'm experiencing as I read the Bible at the moment is that I'm seeing connections and contexts that I'd not noticed before. And so I think it is as we read 1 Peter in our evening services at Nick's this term. You see, the original readers of 1 Peter were facing questions in some ways similar to our own when they first received this letter. As David Day drew our attention to a fortnight ago, they were, to use the words of the very first verse of the letter, scattered throughout the wide area of what is now modern-day Turkey. We're talking about 30 years, just 30 years since the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the church is still in its infancy. When we hear about the church in Bithynia, for example, we mustn't think of a slightly run-down building with a greedy boiler and a suboptimal sound system. We must imagine a group, probably in its tens, but probably no more, a mixture of believers from a Jewish and a Gentile background, slave and free, gathering together in homes and keeping eagerly in touch with socially distanced fellow, fellow believers in other towns, not by Zoom, but by that technological wonder of the first century, the letter. Scholars have suggested that the early Christian communities were characterised by the enthusiastic way they kept in touch with each other by letter. The Roman roads were the fibre optic cables of the ancient world. But if you were there in that huddle in Bithynia, not able to gather in any size with other believers, with no place to worship, certainly no majestic temple like the Jewish believers had in Jerusalem, or nor a glitzy pagan temple that were being built throughout the Roman Empire in the first century, then I think you might have been asking questions like, how is God at work when there are no buildings for him to work in? And how important are we just in our homes anyway? Now, the, the fisherman-turned-apostle Peter is doing a number of things in his letter. As David and Tom have helped us see in the last few weeks, Peter is inviting those early believers to live in the blessings of hope in Christ, and he's calling them to a life of holy living, reflecting a holy God. But in the passage before us tonight, and especially in verses 4 to 8, which I'll be focusing on, I think Peter's main message is one of encouragement. Using phrases that would have had echoes for Jew and Gentile alike, he's encouraging them to see how God is at work in a wholly new way and to take comfort in God, who God is calling them to be. So let's have our Bibles open at this passage together and look at it under this main heading, God working in a new way. God working in a new way. 
Now, to get what is going on in these verses, we need to back up a bit and do a bit of a crash course on religion in the first century. Are you ready for it? Okay. Well, at the time Peter was writing, there were three common denominators between Jewish and pagan, that is Greek and Roman religion. And those three common denominators were place, priests, and sacrifices. I mean, there were masses of difference between the, the Jewish faith and the Roman and Greek religions. But both strands of religious practice were shaped by a special place, by special people and special offerings. Place, priests and sacrifices. A Greek and Roman religion had special places called temples dedicated to specific deities. Special people called priests who mediated between God, people and the gods and special offerings called sacrifices, usually animals killed to please a particular god or ensure a certain result. The Jewish faith had one special place, the Temple, capital T, in Jerusalem, where God's presence was believed to dwell. It had special people, priests, who were set apart to stand between God and his people. And it had special offerings, sacrifices again of animals, offered to atone for the sins of the people. So whichever way you cut your religious cake, divine activity was about place, priests and sacrifices. Now what Peter is working off in this section is the belief that was widely held across the New Testament and the early church was that in Jesus Christ God had done something entirely new and unprecedented in the religious world. He doesn't spell it out here but his use of that cornerstone language in verses 6 and 7 points to the fact that God has started a new construction project based on a, on a fundamentally new orientation. You see, the cornerstone was the stone that set the reference point for everything else. By describing Jesus as the cornerstone, Peter is pointing to the fact that Jesus has changed the rules of the game. It's a new building. It's all about him. What do I mean? Well, let's go back to those three things about first century religion. First, the place where humans meet with their God is no longer a temple. Peter says. God meets with his people in the person of Jesus Christ. You see, there's a reason why there's no temple in the last chapter of the Bible when John looks around and sees there is no temple in this new creation. There's no need for a temple. Jesus Christ is the meeting place between God and his people. Secondly, the priest who stands between God and his people is not a human being, but the God-man Jesus Christ. Read more in the letter to the Hebrews if you want to understand that a bit better. And third, the sacrifice offered is not of a dead animal, but of Jesus himself dying on the cross for the sins of the whole world. As one John puts it, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. For that was what was entirely new about this new construction project with Jesus as the cornerstone. Jesus was the place, the new temple. Jesus was the priest and Jesus was the sacrifice. Jesus is God working in a holy new way. With that in mind, let's look together at verse 5, which I think is absolutely the crux of this little passage, where Peter says, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, 
offering spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Let's take that really slowly and see what's going on there. Peter is saying, but because of Jesus, the living stone, Peter can say that to those scattered believers, that God is working in a new way in them. First, he says, God is building a spiritual house. The place that really matters now is not the temple, capital T, or the temples, lots of them. The place that really matters is wherever God's people are coming together. It's not stones that make a precious building. It's the Spirit of God joining people from different backgrounds together. Peter is saying to those early believers, don't worry about the buildings you meet in. What God is constructing by his Spirit in you all is much more precious than anything else. Second, God is building a holy priesthood. In God's new way in Christ, there's not a hierarchy with special people who are somehow holier or closer to God, people with a hotline to the Almighty, and then kind of everybody else tucked safely down in League One. In Christ, all are forgiven and called holy. All can come together before God to sing his praises and offer him worship, equally welcomed, equally loved, equally called to praise. As they looked around as slave and free, Jew and Gentile, male and female, all praising God together, I think Peter's readers would have seen that in practice. And third, God is calling for a new type of sacrifice. Because Jesus has paid the ultimate price in offering his life for the sins of the world, no further dead sacrifices are necessary. What God is seeking is spiritual sacrifices, living sacrifices, in other words, the offering of lives in the service of God. The message to those early believers was this, God doesn't want your dead animals. He wants your living selves offered to him. Do you see how in this little verse, Peter is capturing just what was so radical about this new way of God in Christ? The special place was where God's Spirit was bringing God's people together, different people. The special people were not priests, but every loved, forgiven, worshipping child of God. The special offerings were not dead animals, but living selves given in the service of Christ. One of the books I've really enjoyed over the past year was a book called Phoebe by the New Testament writer, New Testament scholar called Paula Gooder. It's a story about Phoebe, yeah, you guessed it, the person trusted by the Apostle Paul to deliver his letter to the church in Rome, what we know as Romans. Uh, and it's about the sort of church that she found there when she got to Rome with the letter. It, it, it's, a, it's a really accessible and enjoyable read. And one of the reasons I can't commend it highly enough is because I think it really gets under the skin of what the church in those first, those first few decades was really about. And although it's about Paul and Romans, I, and we're looking at 1 Peter, I, I think the picture's the same, and I'd really recommend that you give it a try. Because, you see, here was something entirely new in the ancient world. People worshipping God in their homes. People across from across the religious and social divide worshipping on an equal footing. People opting out of the sacrificial system to offer their lives in service and worship. 
That's what Peter's saying. So I wonder what it means for us to hear verse 5 today. What's it mean for us to register those words? You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I think the overall message is one of real encouragement. Let's just take those three features again, those three key features in turn. First, God continues to build a spiritual house. Peter's message is that it's not the temple, capital T, or the temple, small t, where it's at. Because of Jesus and the gift of the Spirit, God is building his presence wherever God's people come together in fellowship, love and prayer. Now, I'm not saying that buildings don't matter or that physical presence is not important. I think what we're living through today is a reminder that both have significant value. It's just that I don't think God is waiting for those things to be in place, to be present and at work. If God could build a spiritual house in scattered believers meeting in homes in Bithynia, Cappadocia and Galatia, he can do that in homes in Claypath, Allegate and Briardine. At Cranmer Hall at the moment, we're coming together as a community every morning to pray together on Zoom. And I'm so struck as we do so that what is binding us together is not, it's not the same technology that we're using, but the Spirit is gluing us together, even when we can't sit in the same ancient chapel building. It's not a reminder, but it, it's not ideal, but it's a reminder that God is building a spiritual house, a house by his Spirit. It may be a spiritual support group you're in, it may be a home group, it may be friends who are in contact with, who pray with and for you. God is not waiting until we're all back in church to build his spiritual house. I mean, I know that keeping going with screen stuff is hard, but, but you know, phone calls and, and emails and those really odd things called letters, they're just as good. So let's join in though, in what God is building at this time. God is building his spiritual house. Secondly, God continues to call a holy priesthood. God continues to build and call a holy priesthood. Peter's message was that there were not special people whose job was to do religious things while everybody else looked on. No, all the believers were called to represent God to the world. So it is today. It isn't about those of us with collars on, as if we were uniquely able to point to God. It's about all of us living out our vocation to witness to Christ wherever he calls us. I think Archbishop Justin Welby has come in for some unjust criticism in the Times and elsewhere for not doing enough during this pandemic period. I have to say there's something quite um, unattractive about those who job it seems to be simply to commentate on others working while um, they don't. Apparently Archbishop Justin hasn't been seen out and about enough or hasn't spoken enough. But the church is not one man, important though he is. The church is women and men up and down the country who've been witnessing to Christ in word and deed. You and I, we're a holy priesthood. 
We're called to pick up on Peter's words later on, to be a people who declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. It's not about a chosen people person. It's about a chosen people. Now, we might not feel like we're doing much. We're saying our prayers, thanking God for mercies, singing even if the neighbours can hear, and we're not quite sure if it's in tune or sometimes if we mean every word. But we are a chosen people, part of a worldwide community who are centred on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. We may be scattered, we may be isolated, but let our hearts swell with thankfulness that together we are called to be a holy priesthood, singing God's praises in the world. God continues to build a spiritual house. God continues to call a holy priesthood. Thirdly, God continues to invite us to offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices. Peter's message to, the, to, the, to those churches in Asia Minor is that the era of dead animals has gone. Jesus has offered himself as the ultimate sacrifice and so we are called in response to offer our lives as spiritual living sacrifices. Now I find that a very liberating idea in two ways. First, I don't have to kill myself. I mean not literally, but I mean metaphorically. I don't have to work myself to the bone to make God love me a little bit more. I offer myself but the sacrifice of my sins has already been made. Secondly, I don't have to prove myself. In a world of competing Zoom backgrounds and newly acquired lockdown skills, it's easy to feel inadequate in this season. But God isn't calling me to be impressive. He's calling me to serve him, just him. All you are being called to do in this season is to offer all you have in the service of God. Whether you're taking exams that now last for days, or self-isolating for what is certainly weeks, whether you are on the front line or somewhere near the back, all you're called to do is say every morning, here I am Lord, take me. The reason why the church has not retreated from the public square is because countless followers of Jesus Christ are doing justice offering lives in the service of others in food banks and care homes and phone lines. Soon to be Archbishop of York Stephen Cottrell wrote this week in the Daily Telegraph about numerous examples he'd witnessed and then concluded that people who suggested that the church had retreated were making the classic Easter mistake of looking for Jesus in the wrong place. There's no getting away from the fact that socially distanced living is hard. But let's not think that God is waiting for this to be over, to be at work. Peter's message to the scattered early church was that God was working in a new way. And he is today. God continues to build a spiritual house, people who are bound together by his spirit. You and I, are invited to be part of that building work. And every time we worship on our sofa, every time we ring someone up and offer them our prayers, every time we are part of an encouraging fellowship, we're part of God building his spiritual house. Second, God continues to call a holy priesthood. 
people equal in Christ and called to sing his praises. From the sofa tonight, will you accept that call and offer a sacrifice of praise in good times and in bad as God's as part of God's chosen people? And thirdly, God continues to invite us to offer ourselves as spiritual sacrifices. You don't have to kill yourself to do it and you don't have to prove yourself. Just offer yourself in the service of God tomorrow, this week and in all the future that God has for us. And people with eyes to see will see Jesus in you. Thank you for listening to the St Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.